This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions about the Bible, questions about our faith, uh, something going on in church, maybe something just going on in your life. Whatever's on your heart, I'll do the best I can. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send the questions to us that way. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. We would love to have your calls. You're a lot more interesting than I am. 340-9585. Let's go to a phone call right at the beginning here from San Antonio on line one. Todd, thanks for calling. Todd, you're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm well, Todd. Thank you. Yes, um... I was just going to ask um, for forgiveness. Is it? Um, does the Bible say that we must forgive uh, Christians, or uh, we forgive everyone, uh, even Christians and non-Christians? Are we uh, bound to forgive uh, even the non-Christians? Yeah, um, Todd, that's a good question. One, one of the things before we can forgive, somebody has to want forgiveness. What we have to do as believers, and this goes to unbelievers and believers alike, I think especially toward believers because they're family and we're going to spend forever and eternity with them, but we have to be willing to forgive everyone. And when Jesus says forgive, um, if somebody doesn't ask forgiveness, it's like our forgiveness with God. In order to receive it, it's available, it's, it's there for all of us just for the asking, but if we don't ask him for it, then we're not forgiven. And when we have somebody who's sinned against us, uh, we have to be willing to forgive them. I would go one step further and, and, and communicate that we have to be willing to pray for them. And as we pray for them, God changes our heart toward them. But, but the point is, Jesus doesn't want us bound by unforgiveness. And if we're unwilling to forgive others as we ourselves have been forgiven by God, um, then, then we really, really don't understand what Jesus has done for us. So, Todd, be willing to forgive. Don't let what they've done to you keep bothering you. Go ahead. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, Todd. I thought I heard you on the lines. My echo. Uh, be willing to forgive. Don't let what they've done to you um, be a, a tool that the enemy can use. So, f- forgive. Uh, Lord, you know I want to forgive them, um, but but the, the, the practical matter is until they come and ask for forgiveness, you can't really extend it. You can only be willing to. And I think that's one of the things that people really misunderstand about forgiveness. Uh, I once told somebody, you know, you've got to forgive. And they said, well, they're going to think they were right then. Well, it has nothing to do with them. This is about you. God wants you to be willing to forgive so that you're no longer bound. Because as long as you're bound by unforgiveness, then 
you are uh, available, the enemy can absolutely destroy you. And again, forgiveness and an unwillingness to forgive is one of the most serious sins that we Christians can commit. Todd, thank you very much. I hope that helps you. God bless you. Here is... Oh, yeah, I didn't even get to say this. Tonight, um, I'll be teaching out of Genesis chapter 9. You can watch it at calvaryessay.com. We have room on Wednesday nights, especially uh, while people are still trying to work their way back into the church. So if you uh, don't have anything to do, uh, you're more than welcome to join us at 7 o'clock. And then tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. I'm so excited to get to Todd's question that I forgot to mention all of that. Here's a question from our mobile app. This one from Scott. Uh, could you please explain the pre-wrath theory? It sounds a lot like the post-tribulation theory. Um, Scott, it's really um, it, it's different than uh, both post-trib and mid-trib rapture theories. Let me try to explain them. Um, um, the, the, the pre-tribulation rapture theory, which is what the Bible teaches, is that Jesus is going to come for his church um, before he comes um, in the judgment in Revelation chapter 19. Um, He is going to take Christians out of the world. That's the pre-tribulation rapture theory. The mid-tribulation is that he's going to come right at the middle of the great tribulation. Um, um, Three and a half years, uh, when Moses and Elijah are put to death, um, that's when the rapture of the church is going to happen according to the mid-tribulation theory. Now, the pre-wrath tr- theory, which is very close to the mid-trib theory, the pre-wrath theory says that that um, the great tribulation doesn't even begin until the second three and a half years of the great tribulation. So the seal judgments are not part of the great tribulation, only the trumpet judgments and then the vial or the bowl judgments. That's really the wrath of God being poured out. Now the problem with that, Scott, is that you cannot read, beginning in Revelation chapter 6, the calamities that are going to come upon this earth, uh, beginning with the seal judgments, uh, you, you you can't possibly read that and not understand that is the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Uh, it's not just the warning signs. It is the Great Tribulation. Um, nearly a quarter of the world is going to die during those judgments. So uh, it is a very, very uh, clear, um, at least it should be to most, that that is the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Uh, the post-tribulation theory is that uh, it's not until Revelation chapter 19, really when Jesus comes back, that we are going to be taken out of here. And I don't know if they, they think we're going to be taken out and brought right back so we can be with him or what, but it just doesn't make any sense at all to me. So the, the pre-wrath theory is kind of the new uh, cool theory, you know. No, it's not pre-trib because too many people believe that. But pre-wrath, just before God pours out the trumpet judgments, that's when the church is going to be raptured. Um, there's a guy named Marvin, I think it's Marvin Rosenthal, who has made that uh, popular, unfortunately. Um, it's just incorrect. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Um, here's a question from Ted. Is it necessary to believe in penal substitutionary atonement to be saved? Um, Ted, I don't know the answer to the question. Um, I, I think the, the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus is, is one of the essentials of our Christian faith. Either Jesus took the wrath of God in our place, he took the punishment our sins deserved, or he did not. Now, we go all the way back to Isaiah, beginning in chapter 50, and especially in chapter 53, Psalm 22, where um, the, 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 the crucifixion of Jesus is described in literal detail. And um, it, it, from my, in my thinking, it is impossible not to believe in uh, substitutionary atonement. Um, those who don't believe in it, Orthodox don't, doesn't believe in it, um, some Catholics don't believe in it. Um, there's um, churches with kind of just 
near heretical views on the work of Christ on the cross uh, who don't uh, believe in it. There's a, a guy that's popular on the internet now. He's an Episcopal priest, which, priest, which ought to tell you um, about his qualification as a brilliant guy. He's just not brilliant when it comes to the Bible, N.T. Wright. Um, um, I, the wrath of God has to be satisfied. Um, God is holy and just, and if you don't believe in penal substitutionary atonement, then you've completely disregarded the holiness of God. If God lets one of us off with our sin, Ted, then he's not holy. He doesn't grade on a curve, and there's no, well, you know, I understand that a hard life. Judgment is judgment. It's the holy wrath of God. You can go all the way back in the Old Testament, the campaign in Canaan and, and beyond. You can come into the book of Revelation, beginning in chapter 19, when Jesus comes and destroys his enemies. Um, judgment of God. I, we just finished the flood of Noah. Or we're not finished. I'm still in chapter 9 tonight. But the flood of Noah was a judgment that came upon the whole earth. And judgment is always a holy, deserved punishment. And the same thing is true. Our sins had to be paid for. So Jesus paid the price. And so, Ted, I believe it is an essential of the historic Christian faith. Now, I understand those who say, well, I just don't want to believe in an angry God. Why does God have to pour out his wrath? It just doesn't make sense. Um, but, but that's really, really um, dishonest scholarship. People who, who are unwilling to, to look into the heart of God and see judgment. You know, when I get questions on this program, Ted, about why did God kill all the men, the women, and children in Canaan? That was uh, genocide. Uh, no, it was time for judgment. When the rapture of the church happens, God is going to turn his attention to judgment. Well, Jesus was judged so that we could be spared from wrath. It is possible to be saved in the sense that, well, I'm a fairly new believer. I haven't really dug in and studied my Bible. Um, and I'm sure there are going to be Christians there who didn't believe in penal substitutionary atonement. But they're the ones who are missing out. But I do believe it is an essential of our historic Christian faith. You know, it's like, Ted, somebody once asked me on this program, do you have to believe in the virgin birth? They were in a hard time with the virgin birth. Yeah, it's an essential of our historic Christian faith. But somebody who's relatively new in the Lord, uh, that, that doesn't make sense to them. So God saves them, but they've still got a lot to learn. And if they were to die in that condition, um, I'm, I'm confident they would go to heaven but not understanding doctrine, not holding fast to doctrine, causes us to be the ones who really get ripped off. Hope that helps, Ted. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Roger on line one. Roger, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Yes, I'd like to hear your comments on developing a daily quiet time with the Lord. Whatever suggestions you have. I believe it's important, but I want to hear your suggestions for developing a morning, daily, quiet time with the Lord. Okay. And Roger, I'll, I'll, do I'll that. hang up and listen to you, okay? Okay. Thank you Thank very, you. very much. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Okay, Roger. Thank you. Uh, first of all, let me say I'm thrilled that you really are, are into pursuing this. And, Roger, it comes down really to one word, discipline. Um. um now, everything I say will not apply to every day. You know, Paul and I used to talk about this. You know, she'd say, well, I'm not ready to go. I've got to read. I've got to pray. Well, God understands those times. God knows what's going on. So but not every day is going to work so that you can have a, 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 an hour or two hours of, of just you and Jesus time. But you see, it's the rest of the time when you are taking that time with Jesus, Roger, that, that God prepares you for those times where things just happen, emergencies come up, and you have to be ready. You know, and I'll, I'll get more specific about your question in a moment, but, um, you know, one of the things that I want to ask the Lord every day is, what about me and what about today? Because He knows the future. I don't know the future. 
and there are days uh, when when he prepares me for stuff that I don't even know is going to happen. But in order for that preparation to occur, then I've got to spend the time with him. Now, here's what I would suggest. And, and, and Roger, what I do doesn't work for everybody. Um, but I get up and I've got some personal reading in the, in, in the Bible. Um, currently, I'm reading in the book of Revelation. Uh, that's in addition to the three studies. Paula reads to me uh, later after, I'm, uh, after I've spent some time with the Lord. But, but she's reading the passage of Scripture that I'm studying. And I've got three studies going on uh, every week. Uh, Genesis on Wednesday nights, uh, Second Peter on Friday nights, and we're in First Timothy on uh, Sundays. Um, so uh, I'll get up, I'll spend a little bit of time while I'm getting ready to go out. Um, uh, in, the, in today, Revelation, for an example, I get ready to go out. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to be sure that I'm all alone with the Lord. No phones, um, no distractions, nothing. It's just me and Jesus. Um, when I go, when I hit the door, now I'm going out to exercise but the idea for me is that exercise is a great time for me to pray. To pray, and I, I want to. I, I, I run away from my house, and I do enough so that when I'm done with the exercise part of it, I can slow way down, and just kind of speak to the Lord. And that quiet time for me is everything, Roger. I mean, it's everything. Um, Twenty-five years I've been here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, in in Texas and and um, I wouldn't have survived without that time. So for me, no phones, no distractions. Now, if I see people on the streets and I do all the time, I'll stop and say hello to them, and occasionally we'll have a few moments to talk. But but even then, I'm talking with Jesus. I'm praying for the people um, as I'm talking to them. Uh, oh, just I, I'm I'm practicing the presence of the Lord. You've heard me on this program, Roger, say, "Just be with Jesus." I say it over and over and over, and and I want to be with the Lord. And sometimes he has things to share with me. I'll tell you, a couple of days ago, I think it was Monday, um, um, you know, the, the Lord's not been super chatty. We're, you know, we're just walking by faith. I'm out praying and we're talking to, uh, I'm talking to him and I'm listening for him, but but sometimes he's just not very chatty. Well, uh, on Monday, um, he, he had something that was monumentally important to share with me monumentally important. And um, if I wasn't out there alone with him, I wouldn't have heard that. So it's discipline. you got to go to bed earlier. you got to get up earlier. Uh, one other thing that I would suggest, Roger, that, that I think is critical is, is doing it in the morning. In Isaiah 50, Jesus said, uh, that his father awakens him morning by morning and gives him the ear of the instructed. So I think it's morning. It's and I know mornings are hectic for a lot of people, but it's something you got to do. Now, for me, then Roger, after I'm out alone with the Lord, that's when I'll spend most of the time Paula reading to me in the Word, um, and then I go about my day. I'm working, but even then, I'm talking to Him. I'm aware of His presence. I'm asking questions. I'm asking for opportunities to share. Wherever it is and whatever it is I'm doing, I want to be sure that I'm with him. And I think that's where a lot of us as Christians, we, we, we sort of drop the ball. I think we will get up in the morning, even if we're disciplined to, to read our Bible some and then go out and, and spend some time in prayer with the Lord. And for me, it doesn't work to be in a room all by myself praying. My mind just goes too crazy. Uh, to, to me, I need to be outside. Uh, and and I, I, I'm walking with Jesus as though he was there with me in physical form. Um, but after that, I know he's with me all day. And I think sometimes we who are Christians will do our morning stuff and then forget about Jesus the rest of the day. Unless we're in trouble and we call on him, but 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 it's it's being in his presence. Sometimes that happens when you have the opportunity to be quiet. Other times it happens in the midst of the noise or the busyness of your day. 
but it's something that I believe with all of my heart every one of us needs. Um, one of the things, Roger, that I'm really grateful for for this quarantine time, um, um, truth is I'd gotten a little too busy trying to fit everything in, the gym and everything else. So I'd go out and run, and then I'd get to the gym, and then I'd come to work, and, and I got just a little bit too busy. And um, I'll tell you how the Lord brought it to my mind and heart. Um, we were out on that first day of quarantine, and I'm out exercising and spending some time with him, and he stopped me cold in my tracks. And he said, thank you. When we miss these times, I'm sad. He spoke that to my heart, Roger. And the truth is, I was the one who was the sad one because I didn't really pay enough attention. So this has been a really, really good time for me these last eight weeks or so. Um, A really, really good time because um, just me and Jesus hanging out has been great. And then Paul and I get a chance to pray together and she reads to me. So uh, I think it's just being with him, Roger. And schedules are different, uh, but but we need, whatever your morning is, uh, you need to leave time for Jesus. So I hope that makes sense to you, Roger. Thank you very, very much. And Roger, I'm going to remember to pray for you in your quiet time with the Lord. It is the single most valuable thing about my walk with Jesus that time in the morning when it's just him and me by ourselves. Thank you for the call. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We're inside about three minutes or so for this half of the program. Um, Damon says, The issue of eternal security confuses me. People say you can lose your salvation, but if all our sins are paid for already, how can we lose our salvation. Damon, uh, I'm with you. Um, you know, the issue of eternal security should be the least confusing thing that we ever have to deal with. God promised that he who began the good work in you would be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. We're told that he is the author, the, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith. doesn't say that he began it, but we have to finish it. And the whole idea, when, when Ephesians 1 says that he's given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven, it's God who's making the guarantee. Tonight in, in Genesis chapter 9, we'll be talking about an unconditional covenant that God made with Noah regarding the rainbow. An unconditional covenant. Noah didn't have to do anything. Well, in the same way, Damon, we don't have to do anything When Jesus said on the cross, it's finished, it means our sins were paid for. And as long as we're born-again believers, then we're going to get to heaven. Now, the problem we have is because we pay more attention to what people say than how they live. And we've got lots of examples where people appear to be Christians just like Judas appeared to be a follower of Jesus. He never was. People say they're Christians. Maybe for a while they produce fruit and they get really excited about God, but then they fade away. Some of those people end up denying God. And we wonder, well, did they lose their salvation? Did they give it away? The answer to the question, Damon, and this is the the issue that we never want to have to deal with, they never had it in the first place. In the parable of the sower, the foundation parable, Of all the parables Jesus told us, we have to understand that. If we're going to understand any of them, Jesus himself gives us the definitions. And he says every time seed is sown, that's the seed is the word of God, we're to scatter it everywhere we go, it's going to fall on different types of soil. In in our case, different types of hearts. And some receive it at once with joy, but because it has no root, the sun scorches out and it fades away. Others will, will last a little while, but then the cares, the worries of this world choke it out making it unfruitful. Well, a lot of unfruitful seed has fallen on hard hearts. And they get excited, they get emotional, 
uh, they'll cry, they'll they'll appear to be praising God, and we think that makes them a true believer. But remember, God knows the heart. Galatians 6 says, God will not be mocked. He knows those who are his. He also knows those who are not his. We don't know it, but he does. So, Damon, it's, it's, uh, it, it shouldn't confuse anybody. If you're really saved, you're always saved. But if you're a little insecure about your salvation, you need to make sure you really are. Hope that makes sense. Damon, good question. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in our Wednesday program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program. I guess you could call that the pre-wrath break that we just had going into the second half of the program. You know, with all of these issues about pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, do a study on the character of God. Is it possible? This is Abraham speaking to Jesus. Is it possible that the righteous God of all the earth could punish the righteous with the wicked? The answer was no. And clearly God's wrath is judgment, punishment. Here's a question anonymously, heartbreaking one. Uh, My husband cheated on me two years ago. He asked for forgiveness, but is very impatient with me when I bring it up because I get a little jealous still. Am I the problem? Uh, Anonymous, um, uh, you know, you don't come to my church. I'd love, love it if you did so I could talk to your husband. He violated your trust. And while you're willing to forgive him, we're humans, and sometimes, especially when that trust has been violated so deeply, it's hard to trust again. So I would tell you, yeah, you know, just trust God. Don't get jealous. Jealousy is never a good thing. But I would tell him, you're the one who caused this. You're the one who made her insecure. And whenever I find a husband who is unwilling to be patient as a wife works through the betrayal of their marriage vows, and by the way, the same thing works the other way around. I'm just using the husband in this case because that's your question. Um, I really question their repentance. He did something that is unforgivable. God forgives him. If he's genuine in his repentance, God knows his heart. But the truth is, you don't know his heart. You thought you did once and you got stomped on. So when you get a little jealous, he needs to be a lot patient. It's that simple. It's not your problem. It's his. Now, out of the other side of my mouth, and I don't mean that I'm being a hypocrite here, but if you were the one in my office asking for direction, um, I would tell you, has he given you any reason to be jealous? Has he been acting like he's hiding anything? Is his phone, for example, fair game? You can look at it anytime you want and see who's calling or see who he's texting with. Um, does he allow you access to his computers? If he's making a good faith effort, then you need to go to the Lord and deal with this on your own. But typically, uh, we men are impatient. God, forgive me. Why don't you forgive me? The answer is because you're not God. God forgives and forgets. You forgive, but you don't forget. 
and it's because of the pain he caused you. So um, anonymous, um, get some counseling. Go to your pastor. And the two of you together get some counseling about this issue. The devil will use jealousy yours and he will try to inflame the husband. So get some counseling, please. Arthur wants to know, are the seven letters in Revelation prophecy and how do we know they are? Well, the answer, Arthur, is yes, they are. And the way we know they are is because in Revelation chapter 1, we're told when John describes this prophecy, when referring to the entire book of Revelation, he refers to it as prophetic. Now, there are parts of it, Revelation chapter 19, that we've been talking about today. We know that's in the future. That's prophetic. But but John ascribes the prophetic nature to the whole book of Revelation. So that means that chapters 2 and 3, the seven letters to the seven churches, are in fact prophecy as well. Now, what does that mean? Here's what we we have to understand, and Arthur, this is a little hard for us. Those seven letters were written to seven churches in Asia Minor. I think we all know that. They're real historical churches. They really lived, and they were as Jesus described them. But in picking seven churches, and as you go through the book of Revelation, the number seven is impossible to miss. Seven is a number of wholeness or completion. So when seven is used, it's a reference to the complete and total uh, um, uh, issue that's being discussed. And in this particular case, these are not the most influential churches in Asia Minor, um, Ephesus was, but the others were relatively small and, 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 and historically insignificant. Um, um, none of those churches uh, exist today um, in, in, in a physical sense. They, they, they haven't continued for 2,000 years. So why did he pick them? And I suggest to you that because of the prophetic nature of the book of Revelation, he picked those seven churches because they perfectly described two things. Again, I don't want this to be confusing, but um, but um, the first they describe the seven periods of church history from the first century church all the way down to the church of the of the end times. And the characteristics of those churches, um, you can go historically and and study the, the churches that are mentioned and, and study the periods of time that those churches represent. And you'll find that um, the prediction Jesus made in writing those seven letters describe the trends of church history. Now, Arthur, you can go to our website, calvarysa.com, and uh, in my very first study in Revelation chapter 2, I talk about this in detail, and I give you the dates, the approximate dates of of the different periods of church history that all these churches represent. Now, a lot of people have a hard time with that. I think a lot of them have a hard time because they don't believe in the supernatural properties of the the Word. But in Revelation chapter 1, he says the words of this prophecy. Um, secondly, they describe the condition of our lives as believers. What's true of the church is true of the people that make up the church individually. And we all go through those ups and downs. At one time we're, we're Ephesus, another time we're Philadelphia, another time we're Laodicea, and, and the others in between. So, um, yes, they are prophecy, and um, do a little study, Arthur, it will thrill you absolutely thrill you to find out. Thanks a lot. appreciate it. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Jeff on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Pastor Ron, it's Jeff of Jeff and Veronica. How you doing? Uh, Jeff, I'm so much better now that you called. We've been praying for you and praying that you're doing well. Thank you. It was It was two months ago today that we were in Mexico for the last time before they closed the bridges a couple days later. 
and and frankly, we've just been worn out because we're just doing everything we can to gather food items and donations, and we have some inroads with like the food bank. So we've been locally distributing to about 50 families every week. Oh, bless your heart! Doing that, yeah, just doing that, like four of us, and then we have a coordinator over uh, in Mexico and Piedras Negras uh, who's been. We've been helping 10 pastors over there, their families, because most of them, you know, are bivocational and, and uh, they've lost their jobs and their churches can't pay them what they were paying them. So they're they're really struggling. So we're trying to help keep them afloat. And we have hmm. a, a pastor we're helping in western Kenya right now. So we've been we've been, you know, putting our feet on the ground. And I think we've been working harder the past couple months than we have in the past couple of <laughs> years like good for you he's coming he's coming back soon jeff keep working yeah, that's right amen <laughs> well i just wanted you to know we we i certainly haven't forgotten about you and my schedule has just been really weird and i haven't been able to call but uh you you and paula and everyone there at calvary are really in my heart and especially at this time especially seeing you preaching to an empty room it's just really really weird <laughs> <laughs> you think it was weird for you. Imagine what it was like for me. But but actually, you know, we, we had so many um, um, online views. I mean, crazy, crazy numbers of online views. And while nobody wants it to stay that way, and we, we've got people now coming back for in-person church, the crowds are coming back slowly. Um, but, uh, you know, I preach to more people uh, online during those times when people weren't permitted to come back in. Um, probably than I ever do on a particular Wednesday, Friday, or Sunday. So uh, God's always at work. We can see his hand in the background. Hey, can I ask you something, Jeff? Yes, please. How, how, how is the quarantine affecting the churches in Mexico? Are they, uh, like everybody else, are they shut down and, and people slow to come back, or are they even able to come back yet? Mm, uh, at, at this point, as of today, I don't know uh, what has changed in our hometown there, but yes, same thing. Uh, they're they're not preaching um, live. They're preaching online, doing live stream. Uh, they're allowing worship teams to come together, like if they're less than ten. So mm-hmm. they're they're doing you know recording their, uh, worship and broadcasting that separately. And you know depending on the pastor if he if he wants to do something in his study. But uh, our our pastor friends are actually. Uh, recording, you know, in in their sanctuaries, and and uh, some are live streaming, and some are just uploading. But it's pretty much the same. It's a little more stringent there because they're saying that they don't want you can't be the one person driving in a car. So uh, it's a little difficult when you know you're going out to buy groceries for families, and and you can only one person of the couple can go inside the store. You know, oh, wow. the, the other the other half can't. That would be like, you know. Paula in the parking lot and you in the store, or probably reverse, right? <laughs> yeah, it would be the other way around. I can promise you that. Oh, yeah. you know, Jeff, when when uh, we we've we've planted three churches in Mexico, and our church in uh, um, Durango. Uh, I talked to the pastor there, and he was he called me. He said, "So, so when do we start?" thinking about breaking the rules and, and just meeting because we need to meet. And, and so we had a long discussion about that. So I knew a few weeks ago that they were still uh, restricted from meeting together. And I, I was just wondering whether or not uh, the churches could meet together. Man, it's good to hear your voice. You too. And then there's the whole, the, the whole piece that, that says that there's, that there's not been, you know, actual reporting from the number of cases or, yeah. Just that whole that the whole controversy with that. So we've been pretty essentially cut off from that and our family we can't even get over to see our family right now either. But we're still doing what we can. But I wanted to ask you, Pastor, uh, to comment uh on Habakkuk uh in or in in chapter three, his prayer and especially the the first verse just seems so appropriate for for this time. Uh a prayer that the church would would make to God, and uh, that He would He would show His show us His His 
his mercy again. Show us his works. Um, and also your thoughts. I mean, you've, you've been commenting on this all along, but, um, you know, I think there's kind of like two ways that we can go. I mean, we stay stagnant as, as a society and a church, or this time could be really cathartic for the church and bring spiritual renewal and even revival uh, to the Christian community if, if we go about doing God's business in the way that he wants us to now. So yep. I'll, take your, I'll take your comments off, uh, and uh, just a big hug to you and Paula and Sam, and we love you, and I'll be in more touch with you going forward here. Okay, Jeff. God bless. Give our love to, to Veronica, please. Sure will. God bless you. Thank okay, you. God bless. You know, this is such a great prayer, uh, uh, Habakkuk, and, and, and applicable, and that's Jeff's point, I think. Um, I think we we really need to learn sometimes how to pray by reading these spirit-filled, spirit-led prayers uh, in, in the Bible, and not just in the Old Testament. There's some wonderful prayers uh, in the New Testament, the epistles in particular, and, and in the book of Acts, when the disciples, who are now apostles, uh, are, are under duress and they're being tested. Uh, but this prayer uh, of Habakkuk, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Uh, renew them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Uh, and, and Jeff, this is one of the prayers that, that I've been praying. You know, we when we pray, and, and, and this is our typical Western psyche, you know, we think we've got it all figured out. God, this is the, the, your wrath, or this is that. But, but, but we, we need to understand, we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. God wants us to trust that he's going to use everything to accomplish his will. It's a Romans 8.28 principle. Uh, but we don't know what's going on. So, you know, um, I'm certain this is not the wrath of God. At the same time, I've been asking God to stop this plague and to do it in such a way that the whole world would stand accountable before him. Now think about that. Uh, Habakkuk says, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. I'm asking God to do something that will fix the plague at the same time make humans so accountable that no doubt most of them will be condemned to an eternity in hell. I really believe that we're in the last days. When in the second verse, Habakkuk says, in wrath, remember mercy. I remember David when he was being judged by God for, for counting the fighting people of Israel, the fighting men of Israel. Um, Joab said, why would you do such a thing? And David sinned against God. I believe this was David's greatest sin. And when God, who was angry with David, pronounced judgment, he gave him his choice. And, and David, because he knew the heart of God, said, I'll trust your wrath, because he knew that God would be merciful. And so that's part of my prayer here as well, Jeff, that, that God would be merciful, that he would use this to win people to himself. I've been praying that he would use this, this plague, this horrible virus, to shake out the church and make us serious about what we do. I pray that more than anything that we would see God. Verse 3 describes God, the Holy One, coming. It says his splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. He says, I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Well, that's exactly what's going on now. We're watching the world that we know, Jeff. We're watching this world change before our very eyes. And I've said to our church very directly, I don't think the world will ever be what it was before this this happened. And yet, nations of the world, people in the world, are not looking to God. 
Now, we who are believers are, or at least we ought to be, but the world's not yet asked God to deliver them. I think in the book of Revelation about the 100-pound hailstones pouring down and, and people hiding in caves from the hailstones and shaking their fist at God because they know it's the wrath of the Lamb. But they won't repent. And the same thing is true of the world that we live in. And I think as Christians, we need to be ready for a world that's not only different than what we were used to, but a world that's a lot less comfortable, a world that we're going to need to be with Jesus every minute of every day. It won't be an option. It'll be a necessity. A world where we're going to face persecution. Sort of off the subject, but on Jeff, I uh, was given a link today to uh, a, a pastor that I, I've known long, long, long before I was saved. And he was holding a press conference in, uh, in the Inland Empire in Southern California. And the press conference had representatives of, of uh, probably 40 churches. And the press conference was, was beseeching the governor of California to let them open the churches. And there are some of the churches, there were three churches represented that, that were churches of more than 20,000 people. And, and they said, in our talks with the governor and his representatives, they will keep feeding the poor, keep doing this. They've been doing that. So they're essential for that, but they're not essential in terms of being able to meet together. And they kept using the term that the church is being set aside by the governor. And he's devaluing what the church does. There's never been a time in our lifetime, and I'm pretty old, Jeff, there's never been a time when what we do is more essential than it is right now. And the church needs to be out there sharing Jesus. The church needs to be out there doing what what we do in, in terms of our ministry, what you're doing in Mexico. But the church needs to meet as well and minister to the believers who are hurting encouraging those who will be encouraged. I think Habakkuk had it nailed pretty well. Great question, Jeff. Even better to hear your voice again. God bless you. Here is a question from Carolyn. Carolyn says, Pastor Ron, which study Bible do you recommend? There are so many. Um, Carolyn, you're not going to like my answer. I don't recommend a study Bible at all. At all, at all, at all. Um, find a reference Bible that has nothing but Bible in it. The problem with study Bibles is that we, we, we spend too little time on the part that God wrote and too much time listening to some man's interpretation of what God wrote. And what we got to do is learn to hear the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to open our understanding, to, uh, to open our hearts to receive. And I think we're looking for shortcuts. You know, when I was in high school and college, I had so much going on, and, and you know, there were times when they give you books to read, um, and, and I didn't want to read the books. They didn't interest me. And so I'd go get cliff notes. And I think study Bibles are like cliff notes. And I just think we need, Carolyn, to wrestle with the scriptures. We need to wrestle with doctrinal issues. And we need to study them from the perspective of the Word of God rather than through somebody else's perspective about the Word of God. So um, uh, I don't recommend a study Bible at all. Now, Carolyn, if I was going to recommend one or two, I'll give you two. Uh, the first would be the Schofield Study Bible. Um, and the reason I, I recommend that, and by the way, I loved it. Um, um, there's very few notes. It's, it's, not, it's not a whole lot of study. It's, it's mostly Bible. But the C.I. Schofield Study Bible is a good one. Uh, it's the one that I sort of wean myself on as a new believer. 
Um, the, the other one um, would be, um, uh, and just because I have so much respect for this man, I've not seen the Bible myself, but Tony Evans, uh, Dr. Tony Evans, has a new study Bible um, that's out. And uh, um, um, I, I just believe he is a man of, of godly character, and um, he's, he studies, he's doctrinally sound. Um, so that's a good one. And, and just thinking about uh, that, uh, David Jeremiah would be another one that uh, I think that you certainly wouldn't be uh, steered wrong. The, the Jeremiah study Bible would help it all. But, but please, more than anything else, just get a Bible that you'll read. Let me recommend a Bible for you, too, that, that's good. And I haven't seen one for a while, but I'm sure that you can find them out there. The Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Uh, that will teach you to, to sort of go through the Bible and sort of solve these issues for yourself. So, Carolyn, that's my recommendations. But uh, if you insist on a study Bible, um, one of those two would work really, really well. Thank you for the question. How am I doing on time here? Oops, I'm inside one minute, so I don't have time for any more questions. Hey, once you remember that Paula will be live in studio uh, with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program at 4 o'clock. Ladies, if you need any encouragement or have any questions for Paula, tomorrow is the day. Um, tonight, I'll be teaching out of Genesis chapter 9. Um, Noah's a remarkable man. Hey, may the Lord bless you and keep you. This has been the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.